Hello, I'm Professor Alex Bovey, Dean and Deputy Director of the Courtauld Institute of Art. You're listening to the third episode of our new podcast series, Courtauld Cast. The Courtauld is the UK's smallest specialist university dedicated to teaching and research in art history, conservation and curating. It's also an art gallery with a remarkable collection of paintings, sculptures and some of the world's most important works of art. The spark which ignited this series has been a major renovation of the Courtauld Gallery. For the past three years, we've been completely transforming the space to bring out the best in our collection and make it truly accessible. I hope after listening to this podcast, you'll pay us a visit to enjoy the art up close. This episode is all about learning. At the Courtauld, we run a number of educational programs that encourage hands-on engagement with our collection and the history of art. Last year, we ran a project called Reworking Manet, which has been one of our most exciting learning programs to date. Turner Prize-winning artist and Courtauld alumni, Jeremy Deller, worked with a group of young people to shape the gallery's brand new learning space into an immersive experience for its users. The group were challenged to respond to a masterpiece by the 19th century Impressionist painter, Edouard Manet. I'll be catching up with Jeremy to ask what it was like to work with young people on this project and why collaboration is key to everything he does. You know, when you're making an artwork, you know what you want it to look like or be at the end of the process. But with this, it was a quite a blank canvas, really. I didn't really know where we would end up. And we'll also be hearing from Helen Higgins and Fran Herrick, who coordinated the reworking Manet project. The young people were so thoughtful about who would be using the Learning Centre, the kind of audiences we work with. It was really special. They gelled so well as a group. First up, though, I spoke to Remy, Hannah and Amber, three students who took part in the programme. It all started with a painting. Manny's bar at the Folie Berger. The Folie Berger, where this painting is set, was one of Paris's most popular entertainment venues. Manet and his contemporaries would sketch, drink and mingle there. We did a deep dive into Manet and the bar. It's quite a complicated painting. Would you have a go at describing this picture for well, us? Well, the Bar Folie Berger features a woman at a bar. She's wearing this really luxurious velvet dress with a, I think it's corsage. The front of the bar has a lot of liquor, but what stands out is the glass bowl of oranges and a vase of two roses. Behind her is a mirror that shows this very lively event taking place, but to the right-hand side of the painting, you see the back of the woman, and she is conversing with a man in a top hat. What I find so striking about this painting is that Right at its centre is a barmaid who's kind of averting our gaze and looking mournful, maybe a little uncomfortable. And the gentleman who you might expect to be the hero of a grand painting like this is 
an incidental figure rather than at its center. And this kind of interest in the ordinary people around him and the sounds and entertainments of the city was really remarkable in the 1880s, and I think it still is. As Remy and Hannah explained, it's not just what Manet chose to paint, but how he chose to paint it that makes this image so compelling. So you're very caught up in not just the barmaid, but also the vivid brushstrokes that are very dynamic in the background to show how frantic the crowd are moving the background. You can very much feel that it's a very lively place. And then when you look to the top left corner, you see just two tiny little feet protruding that only take up maybe a tenth of the canvas that you don't necessarily see when you first look at the painting. I didn't see them. They're, they're quite hidden. Hannah and Remy are talking about a wonderful little detail that Manet has shown reflected in the mirror behind the barmaid. Two little green shoes are dangling from the ceiling. A trapeze artist. Because the Folie Bergère was not just a drinking hole, but a place of circus performance. And with his attention to detail, Manet has managed to capture the anarchic spirit of this venue. It's details like this that reward close-looking. When you first see the Folie Bergère, you'll probably say, oh, that painting, I know that painting, because it is super famous. But actually, there are probably a lot of things that you haven't noticed before, even if you've looked at it quite carefully. Looking at the picture right now, it just doesn't look the same as it as it did before, now that I've seen like it up close. The act of close looking was a big part of the reworking Manet project, and something that artist Jeremy Deller was keen for the students to engage with before they moved on to thinking about how they could respond to the work. I asked Remy what the experience was like. It was really exciting. It's not every day that you meet a ton of prize-winning artists. And it was really interesting to see his approach to looking at works, because I've only experienced works through an art historical lens up to now, being able to see how an artist looks at works and how they understand and engage with works is very different to an art historian, which is a lot more, you know, to do with the facts and the figures and the historical context. It's quite removed from human experience, I, I feel. And working with Jeremy, he really encouraged us to look at not just the barmaid's psychological profile that, that's presented in the painting, but also the kind of culture at the time. Because close looking leads you into a picture, but then also back out again to ask questions about its context and meaning, as Hannah explained. And we did a lot of thinking about the various themes of the artwork. We thought about like entertainment at the time, like the city of Paris, women's roles. We had to fully understand it before we could really think about what to do with the room. A few weeks into the project, the students got down to the business of transforming the learning centre to respond to Manet's painting. Not easy. Yeah, so walking into the space, it was a very stark white, very bare bones. It was quite daunting having to be able to fill a space with the inspiration from one painting. We had to formulate a bunch of different ideas surrounding the painting. And then with the ideas that we gathered together, we sat down and we started to discuss how we could incorporate each of these ideas. The approach that we decided to choose was one in which it was an immersive experience rather than 
one piece with a central focus, trying to bring different motifs in the artwork to the learning center space. And so the group came up with a plan for the learning center that would encourage visitors to engage with the painting in unusual ways. The first thing the group came up with was to recreate the bowl of candied oranges from the painting. But they're not simply oranges, they're created from materials that relate to this painting. Well, there's one made out of oil paints, representing what the painting's made out of physically. Well, like an orange made out of oil paint? Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, like an like a orange-shaped and sized bowl of paint. Yeah, pretty much. And there's one with a kind of velvety texture, which would remind people of her dress. We've got a box of these oranges made of different materials in front of us, lace and knitted and felted and, and paint. And they're really beautiful and they do make you want to touch them, which is something that you're not really allowed to do in museums. So was that part of what your group wanted to do is sort of break down that barrier as well? Definitely. I think some of the people who'd be entering the space, this might be their first introduction to the gallery. And having that tangible sense of being able to feel something in your hand and relate it to the painting, then it, it adds an, another level of connection to a painting. And it's really to try and increase the accessibility to the arts because the Courtauld is magnificent, but it also can be quite daunting, especially as a young person. You're not too familiar with many of the artists and the artworks. So it's just to add that relatability and democratise art, I guess. The students started with the oranges in the foreground of the painting, like this bowl of oranges, but then moved to the subtler details. We decided to pick out these acrobats' feet and bring them into the space. So I think it was Hannah's idea to create shadow puppets out of these tiny protruding feet and put them in this learning centre at the top left, just, just like in, in the painting. Having shadow puppets was a nice kind of historical nod as well. Shadow puppets were such a huge feature of entertainment at the time. When you go into the space and you look up and you're like, what's that doing there? It's very whimsical. It's to, I guess, inspire close looking. And it wasn't just looking that the students were interested in. We had a thought about what different scents we may be able to smell inside the painting. With the help of perfumer Sarah McCartney, the students created an aromatic experience. So we ended up making candied oranges scents, creating more dynamic experience of being absorbed into the painting in a way. Lavender was used as well as, I think, violets as well. Fascinating that an age can have smells as well as images and sounds. Is there anything that you learned from the process that you think you're going to take back into your studies as an art historian? I think... Something that I am definitely going to take away even more is trying to understand deeply what the sitter of the painting may be feeling. Well, thank you all very much for your time. And thank you for taking part in what I think has been a really special and successful intervention in our learning space. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. The Courtauld's learning team have been running workshops for years, making art history accessible to everyone, from primary school kids to their grandparents. For a long time, these workshops either took place online or in various rooms around the gallery. But in November 2021, when the Courtauld reopened after its major renovations, all that had changed. We're really excited. It's the first time that we've had a dedicated space for learning. That's Helen Higgins, the Courtauld's head of learning, 
for us to be able to welcome people to the Courtauld and be able to run sort of practical art workshops as well as art history workshops. I caught up with Helen and her colleague Fran Herrick, a Courtauld Gallery educator, to learn more about the space. Helen kicked off the conversation by describing the new facilities. There's a studio with a kitchen, a cloakroom and projectors. There's Wi-Fi. We've got all the tech to support all the things that we're going to be doing. It's really active and, and full of lively discussion, debate and, and really bringing people together. As a printmaker myself, I think, you know, it might open up the possibility of being able to offer practical printmaking workshops, drawing workshops. That means that we can access the prints and drawings collection and then think about that and and the works that we're looking at, but come back to the studio and and put those into practice. So Fran, we're talking today about the reworking Manet project that you convened. Can you tell us about how it came about? It all came together surprisingly quickly, the initial concept for the project, which was getting Jeremy Della involved and then having him select a painting. And he selected Manet's bar Um, So that that was the foundation, really, this monumental work, how to reinterpret that for the present day and make it meaningful for a younger generation. We opened it up to young people who had come to previous workshops or summer school for art history. So the people involved were entirely self-elected. They put themselves forward. And on that first online session, Jeremy delivered this absolutely inspiring talk about his own work, a few select key projects, which really offered very different ways of interpreting history, I think, to how most of us would be used to, even as someone who studied history of art at university. It really opened my eyes as well, particularly with his documentary style works, discarding the usual format of sort of talking heads, people who were there, but actually having a younger generation giving their views. Projects like Everybody in the Place set a precedent for us. Shelley's Laser Dome, Stoke on Trent. We're now Room Swindon. The Arches, Glasgow. Yeah, and Everybody in the Place is his documentary about acid house culture in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, yeah, rave, rave culture. Um, and, and providing that with the social and political context of the time. So, for example, the miners' strikes, which most young people wouldn't wouldn't be aware of, was that idea that art history and contemporary art, it's very interdisciplinary. So, again, that gave us a certain mindset for looking at Manet's bar, looking at the political, social, technological context of the time. I asked Helen what it's been like to witness visitors engaging with the learning space brought to life by the reworking Manet project. It's been an absolute joy to see people, you know, coming to the Learning Centre for the first time and gradually kind of they'll spot the acrobat's legs in the corner, but then turn around and maybe later on find the vase of flowers. Or And, and really what we're finding is that people are finding those tiny elements, starts those discussions really early on. They have lots of questions about what's in the room and why. And then they go across to the gallery and then they find these little hints in the painting. But then again, once they've discussed it in front of the painting, when they come back to the learning centre, they suddenly spot things that they hadn't noticed before. They've made these connections. And it's really a process of kind of discovery that I think the young people were so thoughtful about who would be using the Learning Centre, the kind of audiences we work with. And they work really hard to think about the ways in which these artworks can be used as conversation starters to make people feel really welcome and and want to ask questions before they go into the gallery. 
What was it like for you bringing the, the young people back together to see what they'd created? It was really special. They gelled so well as a group, considering none of them knew each other. And we, we had this fantastic event in March where they could bring their friends and family. And it, it was a true celebration. And also, they see the original artwork as well. At least two of the contributors to the program, Amber and Hannah, both came to art history and then ultimately to the Courtauld to study and to contribute to this project from our summer university program, which, Helen, is such an important part of the offerings of your department. Could you tell us a little bit about the summer university and, and also when it's going to happen next? Absolutely. Summer University tends to run in the first week of July. So this year it's running between the 4th and the 8th of July. It's an opportunity for year 12 students specifically to engage with the Courtauld, but also an opportunity for them to find out about art history. You may not know that art history is only taught in eight, I think it's eight state schools across the country. So it's a really important opportunity for students who might want to find out more about the subject of art history. Um, it's a five-day course. It's, it's running online this year. And it's an opportunity to work with um, curators, academics, court-old students, court-old alumni to find out about careers with art history. We've got 10 of our PhD students here at the Courtauld who run live discussion classes for the students. It's a huge array, really just thinking about the sort of depth and breadth of art history. That was Helen Higgins and Fran Herrick talking to me about the learning programmes we run here at the Courtauld. If you're interested in taking part in the Summer University or any of our other learning programmes, head to the Courtauld website, courtauld.ac.uk, for more details. We've spoken a lot about the Courtauld's work with artist Jeremy Deller. Now it's time to hear from the man himself about his experience working with young people on the Reworking Manet project. Thank you for coming in, and really thank you for that amazing project, which has enlivened that space in some really special ways. Oh, good. Well, you are, amongst other things, a graduate of the Courtauld Institute. And I'm just wondering maybe if you can start us off by saying a little bit about what you studied and what that was like. I studied Southern Baroque painting mainly. That was what I specialised in, looking at sort of Velasquez and Caravaggio and Benini, people like that. But nothing too contemporary, obviously, that was just not on offer. Like contemporary, like Manet. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> Impressionism. Yeah. Did I you think, enjoy it? Did, did, uh, sort of. I sort of enjoyed it. I lived with my parents because I lived in London, so I didn't have a university experience that most people get to have. It was almost an extension of being at school. The kind of link between your art historical training and formation and your art practice, is it discernible? I mean, do you see yourself as, a, as an artist with an ongoing engagement in art history or is... Well, I go to exhibitions and I like galleries and museums. So I, I can tell you my tip for going to a, a busy gallery is just go to the paintings that no one's looking at. Don't queue up behind people with the headsets on. Just go to the ones where no one's at. So it's a more random sort of selection process. But also you don't have to look at every painting in a museum. I mean, it's exhausting going to museums and looking at paintings. It is. Sculpture's less so for some reason, but paintings really takes a lot out of you. 
one of the interesting things about the project that you've done with the kids and the mane is that it presents a totally different way of thinking about art that isn't about attribution or narratives of art history. With the mane project, as I will call it, it was just to create an expanded version of that painting in a way because it's full of content and it's full of relevance and there's just so much to spin out from it and to work with. We, I mean, we looked at that painting for hours and hours on end, both in reproduction, but also in person, as it were. We had two sessions just sitting in front of it for hours, and we put on these conservators' glasses, and we can get right up close and just look at tiny elements. So we inspected the painting in great detail, and brush strokes, and looked at it and talked about it. None of us got bored of looking at it. You know, the first couple of sessions were done on screen, on the Zoom calls, and then to finally go into the room and have it to ourselves with that painting and with all the other works in that room was fantastic. So obviously one of the objectives for the project was to redress this learning space and animate it and, mm. you know, kind of have a declaration in the room about what the room is for. And that, I think, is obviously successful from our point of view. Mm. What did you want the students to get out of it? Like, did you have a kind of ambition for them or did you just want it to be fun? <laughs> I didn't really have any expectations. It's probably best not to when you're working with a group of people and the end point is unknown. You know, when you're making an artwork, you know what you want it to look like or be at the end of the process. And hopefully it'll be a bit better than you think. But with this, it was a, quite a, a blank canvas, really. I didn't really know where we would end up, what we'd get a striking theme in your mm. work, a kind of major organizing principle are these kind of hugely ambitious community building and collaborative works. And I was interested in whether th this project relates to that in some way or how community building and collaboration, it's quite an interesting and challenging art practice. I imagine. It can be, yes. But this is different because I wasn't making an artwork at the end the young people were. So it's a different process. It's more, this is more an educational process. But I quite like being in rooms with people and talking to them about art and making things. There's another thing that I think is quite interesting about the work that the young people made in response to the Mane and some of your other work, which is that, to me anyway, it has quite a strong narrative or implied narrative dimension to it. I mean, I think the Mane... It isn't a narrative painting in any ordinary sense, but there are strong elements that imply elements of story. Yes, there's a sort of mystery to it in a way, and you can create a story around it. I'm sure there have been many, many educational projects where you take this painting and you say, write a story about this woman or this situation, what's going yeah, on why here. Why is she so sad? Well, she's working hard and she's wearing a corset, which is probably really painful. She's on her feet for she's like 10 hours. Creepy guy making demands. Exactly. And it's very noisy in there. It smells weird. And you have to sort of be on display, which is stressful. Being harassed, potentially, because you are on display and so on. So I've worked in a shop and I know how stressful it is working with the public. I mean, this is a totally different environment, obviously. But being in the service industry is quite a tiring thing, just dealing with the public. Yeah. So that's why I thought that it was actually a very contemporary image because the service industry has expanded massively in the last years. But also during the last two years, during the COVID, people in the service industry, as we know, are the people that often were most liable to get COVID, but also they were working hard when a lot of other people were not. And so 
that made me think about what's the contemporary equivalent of this woman. Maybe it's a delivery driver or something like that. And uh, so I was interested in that, the sort of exhaustion of working, public-facing workers like that. So I, I thought she was emblematic of that. You know that... Um Oh, is it a Gilbert and Sullivan line? That if you become a teacher by your pupils, you'll be taught. I mean, what did you learn? I'm up for new experiences, I suppose. That's the thing. And I, I didn't know what to expect, really. I had no idea. And I didn't really know who the young people were. I, all I did say was, I don't want any, children, any young people from private schools. <laughs> that's the only thing. Which sounds a bit mean, but uh, I just... Young people from those schools, and I went to one... They just get all the chances and they get all the luck and all the opportunities. And I just thought, that's just, I'm just sick of that. Even though I did as well, but I just felt that it's just was pointless, frankly. So that was my only stipulation. So I just didn't really know what to expect. For me, it was just to sort of dive into a sort of an unknown territory and just see what they were interested in and just meeting them. It's interesting what you say about opportunities. One of the things that... I think is the case, but it's quite difficult to quantify, is that there's a kind of retraction of opportunities, especially in cultural education for kids in the state system. And I I recognize that it's extremely varied around the country, but things like not an availability of peripatetic music lessons and art rooms kind of getting shut and, uh, you know. You see it. Yeah. I went to this school with this, this, this absolutely gold standard academy just outside Newcastle in a very deprived area but they built a school and combined three secondary schools to be in this place and it's the school that's always shown on tv when they're trying to show the the success of academies and how they've worked and we went for a meeting in one of the rooms and it was this big long room that had a mirror on one side and I said what's this room said well this was our dance studio but we couldn't afford the teacher so we just use it for exams now oh that's so tragic because what do young people love more than anything else is dance and movement, and you don't give them that even. You know. That's one of the things that we have to do here as an institution. I think we have a responsibility to expand the work that we do to try to bring the kind of cultural education that we specialise in. When you think about all this idea around disinformation and uh, fake news and all of those things, a way to combat that is to be able to look at things, look at imagery, look at history and identify that and you can do that in art history you can look at things and understand imagery better and manipulation of images and all those things all those things it's all related it's totally related i think that you know visual literacy is really important maybe now more than ever and so we need to know what we're looking at and why we're looking at it and what the history of it is and derivation of it and ways to look at things so i think um you know art history has a huge role to play but maybe just not in the way we might think jeremy it's been great speaking with you thank you so much for coming in and thank you also for the incredible work that you did with the young people pleasure both were a pleasure thank you to all my guests we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of court old cast Next time, we're going to be looking at the fabulous decorative objects in our collection, the skill of their makers, and the ingenuity it takes to display them. I hope you'll join me then. Courtauld Cast is produced by Novel for the Courtauld Institute of Art and generously supported by Bloomberg Philanthropies. With thanks to our producers Harry Cook and Claire Crofton and executive producer Joe Wheeler. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share and follow us on socials at Courtauld on Instagram and at The Courtauld on Twitter. 